Well, during the, uh, you know, the, the COVID crisis, we started up a, well, a few weeks ago, thought it'd be good for us as a church to just uh, read through the Bible together. So we started this little thing where we're going to read through the Bible. Uh, and the past two weeks, last week and this week, uh, I've just sort of picked out some different passages from that. And, uh, and the reason why we're doing that is because of a recognition that, that we need God here. And that's what uh, we looked at last week of God saying, look, you guys are just being super obstinate. And what were they being obstinate about? God had brought them out and was going to bring them into the land. And he was setting up, he was about to say something to them to, for the first time to actually write down with his own hands or words for them to read. But before they could even read it, before they even heard anything that God had to say, they took this, their ornaments and, and melted them down and formed this golden calf and, and said, behold the God that has brought us out of Egypt. In other words, be, before they even heard anything that God had to say, they had already decided they weren't going to listen to anything that God, they had already formed this frame of thinking in their mind that whatever it is that God did, they were going to reshape it. Whatever it is that God gave, they were going to reshape it in the form of their own hands to be able to say, we're the ones who did it. We're the ones who have brought us here. And we're all just sort of obstinate in that thinking. And so that's why we're trying so hard and why God has set up this mechanism, you might say, of us coming. And there he brings up the tent of meeting, which was the tabernacle, which became the temple, which is what we're talking about today and coming to church. So it's directly relatable to what we're doing today. But, but the hope that's there is a hope that God is in our midst and that we're going to be able to hear what God has to say. And God said, look, they're just so obstinate that they don't care about what I have to say. They don't even want me in their midst. I'm going to continue to bless them. I'm going to continue to love them. I'm going to continue to care for them. I'm going to bring them into the land. I'm going to protect them from their enemies. I'm still going to give them everything. They still have the law. They can build the tabernacle. They can do whatever. But I'm not going to be in their midst. Because if I'm in their midst, there's so much obstinance and so much evil that's attached to that, that, that the, the nature of who I am in the goodness and the justice of who I am, what would just, it can't exist near them. It would just destroy them. And so in my graciousness, I'm just going to have to pull out. Now, God's intention at that point was never that he was actually going to leave their midst. But he's saying, if you're obstinate and that's what you want, and, and if you, I'm going to continue to love you, and if you want to reinterpret it as you've done all this, that's fine. Do whatever you want to do, but know this, my love will continue. I will continue to protect you. I will continue to give. And what he was waiting for was one small part of them, and it ended up being a single person out of a whole nation, Moses, that said, no, no, no. It's not the gifts. 
that are important. It's you. And he said, I can't go on. There's no reason for us to go on unless you're in our midst. And now what we're looking at is a story that's 40 years after the giving of the law. God had brought them to the promised land and in their obstinance, they just refused to go in. God had said, look, you know, fine. You guys don't want to go in. I'm going to let you guys wander around in the wilderness, and I will remain with you. My presence will be with you. My blessing will be with you. But I'm just going to wait for you guys to die off in the wilderness naturally, and I'll give this blessing to your children. And now we're coming to the 40 years later where that generation has died off in their obstinance, in their own sin, in the wilderness. And this new generation is leading them forward into the land. But as this new generation is leading them forward into the land, there's comes to light a problem that we're going to look at today. And the, initially, the reason why I sort of picked this one out is because it fits with the one that we looked at last week, but, but also because I know as we're reading through the Old Testament, especially like we get through Genesis and we start getting into Exodus, there's all this stuff here in the law and all these things that happen that, that we read through. And it is incredibly difficult, no matter, even though we want to hear what God has to say, it's incredibly difficult when you get into uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, to hear what's going on and what value is this? And, and there's all these things that's, that we read and it's just like, this is, this is a little bit crazy. This doesn't fit with what I know about Jesus. And there's these things that are happening that I'm reading about and I just don't see how this fits with what I know is the final intention of God. And I, this passage for me, has given me a lot of aid, not in that it's answered any of those questions, but that here's a case of someone who is looking at the law and how it is affecting them and saying, this isn't fair. This isn't right. This, isn't, this doesn't fit. And God's saying, yeah, you're right. Let's change the law. And God changed it. And God didn't just change the law. If you read, continue reading in the chapter, if you look the very next, uh, you know, in verse 12, it, the little title there says, Joshua to succeed Moses. It's, it's, there's not just a change in law, but there's a change in leadership, a change in governance. And he says very clearly what that change in governance is about. He says, for when the community rebelled, at the waters and the desert is in, both you disobeyed, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. And so God had said, no, Moses, you're not going to be able to go into the land. Even a leader such as Moses, the, the guilt just ran deep. And, and, you know, the Lord has a way of bringing us to passages and then things occur in our life and around us. And 
you know, the, the songs we sing, the passages that we look at, they're really not micromanaged. But it's been a joy in being a pastor over the years to see how Jesus works things out for things to be looked at, for things to be sung uh, in a way that fits with things that are going on in our life. And, and I believe that that's what's happening here today. Now, what's amazing here is that you've got these five daughters and I have five daughters myself. And the idea that they would be in such pain and have to stand up in front of the entire congregation and the leadership that's there and to be able to speak to their pain in front of them, that's a difficult thing, just that in and of itself. But God created a mechanism for them to do it. And it wasn't just them. It's that they were standing up before God. He provided an opportunity for them to speak to their hurt and for everybody to hear. And everyone didn't have, no one had anything to say. And whether they did or didn't, thankfully, a lot of times I'm thankful for silence. Because a lot of times what we have to say It's best for us to just be quiet. The entire congregation, the entire nation, God created a moment for the entire nation to be able to stand and hear about the pain that these five daughters were experiencing due to a system that was over them that was going to leave them out of the picture, that was going to disenfranchise them, that was going to discriminate against them. And they speak that out. They say, as we're going in, the, the blessings of God, they're not going to fall on us the way that it, Jesus talks about. They're not going to fall on us the way that God's talked about. Something's off here. And the miraculous thing is, God is there. His promise to be in their midst means God heard them. And God said very simply, the statements of the daughters are right. Their statements are right. That's a powerful thing. For Five daughters to speak out about their hurt, to speak out about the way that they're being left behind, to speak out about the, the way that the system that has been set up over these 40 years is now resulting in them being left behind. And for everyone to have to hear and to stand and to be silent, but to hear God say, the statements that these daughters spoke are right. What's interesting about it is that by saying that, God is also saying, look at what they've saying. 
God doesn't add really further explanation to it. God just says what they have said is right. And so we are going through to look and see what God has to say. But what God is saying to us in this passage is, hear what they're saying and know that the statement is right. And a lot of times when people speak about hurt, when people speak about being left behind, when people speak about being disenfranchised, when people speak about discrimination, oftentimes we don't hear anything that's being said. And oftentimes, the first thing if we do hear, well, we don't really hear, but what we do is we say, oh, well, what they're saying, I, I, that's just the point. I don't know that it is right. I don't know what's being said is right. And we get into this. This about, God says, no, if you're listening to me, listen to them. And all that needs to be said you don't even need to say anything. Listen to me as I listen to them and I proclaim that what they say is right. And so God is saying, take a look at me. By taking a look at me, take a look in this passage, at this story, at what exactly it is, the statements that these daughters made. And it's difficult, you know, when you go through the Bible trying to understand what God has to say, it's difficult trying to understand what these five daughters have to say. And it's difficult to hear what anyone is saying because we are just so obstinate in thinking that, that in rearranging things into the way that we want to see them. But God's saying at some point, we need to push through that difficulty and try and understand what he's saying. Because what he's saying, he's not saying it in an unclear way. It's not that he needs to say it in a, in a better way. The problem isn't with what God's saying. The problem is with our obstinance and having our view of things that we just won't let go of. And that problem persists with others too. And what God is saying, listen to me by listening to them and listen to them with my proclamation that the statements they're making are right. And so that's what I want to take a look at today. Uh, very quickly, what are the statements that the daughters made? And then uh, very briefly, where does that lead us, and where is God leading us uh, uh, through this passage and, and and in everything that that is happening right now around us? Uh, let's take a look at what they say. They start and they say, our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no son. So 
the first statement that they make is all about them making a distinction in something. Other people had questioned what was going on. Other people had, but they're making, they're saying, no, this is something different. We're not saying whatever was happening with Korah. But what we are saying is something that's based on this, that our father died in his own sin in the wilderness. And so what is that? What are they saying with that? In order to understand what they are saying, you have to look back at the words of what uh, Korah said and the company that was with Korah. And so uh, let's just take a look at that real quick. I'll look over just a few chapters before, chapter 16. Here's what Korah was saying, and it's important to hear what Korah is saying because the daughters are beginning their statements that the Lord says these statements are right. Listen to what they say by them saying, well, whatever was said before by Korah, that's not what we're about, but we're about something else. And so let's first look at that first thing. Here's what they're saying we're not about. It says, Korah, son of Izahar, and the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan, Abraham, sons of Elab, on the son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. And they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron. And here's what they said. They said, you have gone too far. The community is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? They said, look, we know what Korath and Korah was saying in that company is they were saying that you are with us, that the reason why things are, is because we are holy. And they say, we're not saying that because our father died in his own sin. Now, when they say our father died in their own sin, they are speaking of their own father, but they're also speaking of everybody else's father because the whole reason they were in the wilderness for, for 40 years was so that that whole generation would die off because of their obstinance, their insolence, their, their refusal to accept the gospel that God was putting out. And they're wanting to say that everything good came from them rather than seeing it as a gift from God. And they're saying, look, here's what we're saying. We're not saying that we're holy. We're not saying that we're better than anyone else. And we're fully willing to recognize that the sins of our father personally, but by implication, what everybody knew is whatever sins that their father had created were no different than the sins that everyone else's father had created. In other words, whatever you might point to, to them, to say, oh, well, this is the reason for this, whatever that might be, it's absolutely no different than what everyone else had done. In other words, they're saying, look, we're not saying we're deserving but by saying that we're not deserving, we're not saying that we're any less deserving than anyone else. It's a complicated thing of what's being said there. And then they basically say, repeat what God had said. Let's look back at 27, chapter 27. 
Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. What they were saying is, what by repeating what God had said, that God's intention was for every family to be represented in the land, for every family to have a piece of the blessing that he is giving to them as a nation, for it to be every single family, no one left behind to be distributed the blessing that God has given freely, not based on anybody in that country deserving any of it. But even though they, they've just, they don't deserve it, he's been gracious and forgiving, and he's giving it anyways. They're saying, don't give us what we deserve in terms of our righteousness, because that would be what Moses says we all just need to be. But give us the promise that you've given to a people who need forgiveness. And your intention, what you have said, that you desire for your blessing to be distributed, this isn't matching with that. And what the Lord's intention, you know, not everybody that went into Israel was given a portion of the land. The Levites, uh, the, the priests, the pastors, like what I am, weren't given any land. But, but it wasn't that they weren't given a part of the, the blessing. What, what they were given was that people gave a tenth or gave different things so that they could receive the blessing through other people. In other words, God had set it up for him to give and for that to distribute out to the Levites. But their families were supposed to be given a portion of the land, and that wasn't going to happen. And what they're saying is, the way that you have said you want to see things happen, this system that is that we're under, the rules that are set up, and the way it's hitting us doesn't match with that. There's something missing. And God responds, and God says, you are right. My blessing is not being distributed the way that, that fits with the promise that I've given. The grace that is being poured out on the nation is not being distributed in the way that I desire in the way that I have spoken of. And so let's change things, he said. And he changed the law right then and there. And then he spoke of, as I said, a, a change in governance, a change in leadership. Now, you have to ask yourself, God being God, what are we to say then? That the law that was created before, that God was mistaken, that God didn't understand, that God didn't see that this would happen, and now God has to fix himself? Fix this? No. 
God knew where he was going. He made it very clear, this is where I'm going. This is what I want to do. But he chose to have that happen and for the law to be established, in this case, to be amended through this story, through five daughters who were being left behind by the system, who were being discriminated against, being able to stand up and speak to their hurt, and for God to say they are right, and for God to change the law, and for God to move things in a different direction. Now, what does that mean for us? Here's what it means, and I'm just going to put it out there to you, and you read it for yourself as you read through the, you read through the Bible. But this is the way it reads to me. The hope that we have in Jesus, the promise, the rest that we need, it's not, it's not tied up in the land that's being given. It's not tied up in the ownership. It's not tied up in anything that's being given. It's tied up in the rest that we need comes from God working on us to change our hearts. And changing our hearts is a complicated process, not, not because God isn't powerful or, you know, it's because we're just so obstinate. It's difficult to change a heart that is so obstinate and is so deaf to what anyone is saying, to what God is saying, to what anyone else is saying, and is so intent on having everything be about them. But the beginning of hope that we have in Jesus, what Jesus is addressing, what God is addressing, thankfully, is working to change our hearts. And the beginning of us joining into that work of Jesus that's about changing hearts, it's what we all know. The beginning of following Jesus is about repentance. And what is that repentance? It's about taking some responsibility for the pain that others are speaking about. And that may first involve what we're saying here, hearing what people have to say. Repentance is about saying, wherever it is I need to go, I'm taking myself and everyone around me in the opposite direction. But whatever I think I'm doing that makes me holy or, or good, the flip side of that is I'm saying I'm holy and good, but then the flip side of that is they're saying Moses is bad. There's judgment that's there. When Moses is no worse than any of them. What he's saying is the beginning of a change of heart begins with a small part of us starting to recognize, to just break down, soften our heart, that we have not been holy, that we have not been innocent, that we have not
contributed to the pain and suffering in the world. That, or, uh, that, that taking the responsibility for that. And, and as we start taking responsibility and start coming to understand what was not earned, it, it was in many cases taken in a way that was contrary to what God is saying. As we grab a hold of our guilt and we grab a hold of that repentance, and this is a crucial point, as we grab a hold of repentance, it does not now mean that we are going to just be able to move forward and, okay, everything is fine, and we're moving forward. Now we've got everything squared out. That's not going to happen. For one thing, pain doesn't work that way. It doesn't just all of a sudden, it's like, oh, just disappear like that. The effects of all those things don't, don't just disappear. It's not at all. Repentance is not at all to reshift now that like, okay, now the law has changed, and so now we're good to go. Because the fact is, as we read through all of the Old Testament, what we'll see time and time again is when he speaks of the orphan, the widow, the alien, those who have immigrated in, the poverty, that over and over and over again, these same effects that these daughters are talking about, about people being left behind, about people not having access to the blessings that God has given to a, their country, over and over again, they continue to fail over and over and over and over again. And it's not just Israel, but throughout the Bible, God condemns every other country around them for the exact same things. A change of the laws. It, you can change the laws. You can change the governance. But the core problem is our heart needs to change. And as our heart changes, it doesn't now change to a hope now that, okay, now we're getting things right. What it does is if we really realize how much we've messed things up, we'll see we're always going to mess things up, and it should shift our hope to now what, what is God doing. And so the hope that you – and. and I'm trying to be as direct as possible in terms of what our hope is. Our hope is that our hearts will be changed. That begins with us confessing. It begins by us realizing that we need forgiveness. And then that shifts our hope to now. We're not capable of looking around to see what we're going to do. Let's start looking and see what God's doing. And in this story, what God is doing is he's changing the law, and God's changing the governance, the leader, from, jo from Moses to Joshua. Those are some things that God does. But when he does those things, it's not to shift the hope back onto ourselves. It's to keep that hope on God. What is God doing? And so as we, I sort of conclude, I just want to talk a little bit about well, what is it that Jesus is doing? And 
the benefit of having our heart changed even slightly, the benefit of repentance is not that it now opens our eyes to us, because all that opens our eyes to is just how we've just completely messed up. But it opens our eyes now to look at something new. It opens our eyes now to be able to see the God that we've been ignoring. It opens our eyes to see the blessings that God has been pouring on us that we've been ignoring, that our eyes have been closed to. And so I just thought I'd I'd share a few practical things of what I see happening for us in particular as a church and for my family and my neighborhood. And this is not the totality of what Jesus is doing. But to me, it's some really good things that Jesus put on. One of the things that he's been doing, and it is of no connection whatsoever to anything that us as a church have had this grandiose plan or have done or have paid for even, but for some odd reason, it's not an odd reason because of God's love and his graciousness on us during this time when the COVID has been going around, uh, you know, all, all of us are trying to find different ways to get groceries. And for a lot of us, it's, you know, we can find a way to get it. But there's a lot of people out there that aren't able to do it. And I know from personal, sometimes it's because someone's older and you have to go through the internet and stuff. And it's just, there's just a lot of complications and just that help is needed. But the Lord's, you know, granted us tons of food. And and I've been working through the food banks and things like that for, for a lot. God has opened it up way beyond the amount of food that's going out into our community around us. I think it's about 2,000 families, and they're not getting a can each. They're getting like 100, 200 pounds of food. And people are not just receiving it like, oh, yeah, I'm going to grab this. You know what people say all the time when when people receive, oh, well, they're just going to go sell it or something like that. That's that same stupid way that, that we just keep Pressing in on that option is people are receiving it with joy and thankfulness, with desperation, with emotion, because there's a lot of hurt and a lot of suffering and a lot of need that's going on that that our eyes wouldn't be open to if our eyes were not open to what Jesus was doing, and if we walked with Jesus, then our eyes are opened because we can see how Jesus is meeting the needs of different people. And it's not through us as a church. But if our eyes are opened through repentance, we can see what Jesus is doing. And as Jesus is doing, it helps us see the disparity that's there and see pain in a whole new light. And it points to, just as in this story, the statements of these daughters. It opens our eyes to the statements, to to what other people are going through in a way that, that we wouldn't necessarily see. And it's not just the food that's going out. One of the most powerful things that I see Jesus doing is as this food going out, it's the way in which the food is going out to people in the community. Karen was just telling me this story about a couple little kids 
in the neighborhood, in the community, uh, a couple little kids that, that might very well be down at the park and get yelled at by some of the older members in the community and might very well have like some sort of odd animosity or disconnect that's there. But some younger kids being given food and told, hey, go over to this older person, your elders, the elder in your community, and give them this food and seeing the joy in the face of this young person to, because they want to be able to have that connection with that person. They want to be able to give, but they haven't had any way to give. And now God, it's not just about the food, it's about giving them the opportunity to give and seeing the joy in their face and being able to have something to go and give and seeing the joy in the face of that elder person, the joy in receiving. Because that's what love is. It's this relationship of giving and receiving and sharing. And that's what moves this heart that starts with repentance. And I know I say this every single sermon, every single week, and you may get tired of hearing about it, but that's the beginning. And it just needs to be repeated over and over again because we're so obstinate in denying that. But the good news is, is from that, it doesn't lead to how good we are. What it leads us to what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus is doing is promoting this love that's about this giving and receiving that we join into, and the joy of that is far better than the joy of watching Netflix all day, or the joy of whatever it is we're taking joy in. And that's where true love is. It starts... with us breaking this, that it's just about me and the hurt that caused. And it leads into what Jesus is doing and what it leads into what Jesus is doing. It leads into a deepening of that change of heart, a deepening of that change of heart that comes as we see the joy and the love that starts to develop, that God is pushing forward violently, that he's, he's pushing by force because we just resist it to give us, to, to sort of just create a situation where, because we're so obstinate in not giving and not receiving and not being a part of that, he, he's by force taking us into it so that we can at least feel what that's like and so that our heart can be softened. And that's the hope that we're looking for. It's a hope that what God is bringing us into is heaven, where we're not hurting each other anymore, where it's all about just that, that love that's seen in the giving and receiving. And we see that dimly now, and we only see it now because Jesus is doing it not because we're doing it, but we see it in what Jesus is doing. And as we see it in what Jesus is doing, it should strike our heart to create this yearning, this desire for that to be the case with us, 
And the greatest thing that God gives us is not the land, is not the wealth, is not any of that. It's to be a part of that. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, thank you so much for all that you're doing. Help us to see more of what you're doing. Help us to take hope in what you're doing. Soften our hearts. Bring us to repentance. Convict us. Provide a way for there to be forgiveness. Provide a way for us to join into uh, a family, to be able to join into the love that you had intended for us, but that we've damaged so severely. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.